0: And with that, we're live. Welcome to the Callum Sutton Show for the 8th of February, 2024, episode 2113. Here's what's coming up. Steamboat Willie has gone into the public domain, and directors have just flocked to it to make a horror film out of it. We've got new music from Paramore and Suburban, as well as our first in our iPod Nano mixes. That's a new feature coming up. Uh, General Tager's new film is Rolling Heads, and we're going to be delving into the AI copyright race. That's everything coming up on today's Callum Sutton Show. We're back. With the Callum Sutton Show. SuttonShow.net The following make it bad language and offensive themes. Listener discretion is advised. Did you know flash photography used to consist of having a bulb that would burn so bright it would literally destroy itself in the process? I'll be watching a lot of YouTube today if you can't tell. Um, I never knew this. And I, I basically majored in photography and had an entire business based around it. And yet only found this out today. That they literally used to have like flash pans, which was a pan that they had like some flash powder, which was a mixture of magnesium and potassium chlorate. So, you know, nasty stuff that they would basically just hold in their hands and ignite and then somehow maneuver themselves around to the shutter of the camera fast enough to trigger it while it was still burning. Um, and after that, they had like all sorts of little doohickeys where they would have bulbs inside these cubes. That would spin around, but the bulbs themselves would basically just destroy themselves because it was a purely like chemical reaction, proper, like nasty, but really flammable chemicals. And so Kodak had this thing called a flash cube, which was like the answer to well, what can we do instead of having these pans or just having a singular bulb that we would need to rig up? And then, you know, we do the flash, and great. Now we don't have a light because it destroys itself. They were like, we'll I'll have a cube. We'll literally have a cube with like four of these bulbs inside it, and every time the bulb is blown up, and these bulbs would last like four flashes, for example, you know they they slightly advanced the formula to make them last for four flashes, but still they would blow up they destroy themselves. It would rotate itself to a fresh bulb every time a flash was done. Before that, it was like an extreme sport. Like, they would have these flash pans that they would go ahead, ignite, and then manoeuvre themselves around to the camera fast enough to actually be able to use it. And in the process, they would need to make sure that they didn't set fire to themselves, (laughs) didn't set fire to the talent, didn't set fire to the set, all sorts of stuff. And then afterwards, they would need to try not to set fire to the bin. Because, you know, you have to dispose of it somehow. But once it's flashed, it's obviously burning red hot. So in in all of this, it's a game of hot potato with with the camera flash. You're like, well, what do I do with it now? It's burning in my hands. My hand hurts. I can't put it in the bin because it will set the place on fire. And I think there was a scene in Shrek where they show a flash pan being used. And I love shit like that, where just casually in a film or a TV series... They'll just nonchalantly add stuff in that most people will never understand. But they'll keep it true to history somehow, or just use it as some kind of reference. So I love stuff like that. Um, And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like I said, I basically had a business based around photography. I really want to get back into it. The thing is, there's never any places to actually do it, you know? I take my camera out like quite often and it will either be my DSLR, which is kind of like, yeah, you go into a forest and take some photos of trees. What else is there to do? Cause everything else is like incredibly it, it might just be my lifestyle that I'm talking about here. Any proper photo opportunities I have, I'm either working or it's so out of nowhere that I don't have anything with me to do uh, you know, a proper proper photo session with as such. And, you, you know, usually it's quite wobbly as well. By the end of it, you just got all these shaky shots. Because um, that's what happens when you take too many shots. But um, uh, yeah. <clears throat> wow, really, really got a toad in my throat there. Um, Want to get back into it. I feel like there was, yeah, there was this thing called Guru Shots, which I was on for a while, which kind of pushes you. It gives you inspiration as to where you can kind of go to do photography and so me and henry and capri were using it and it's like everyone's kind of invited to the party There, you can be a phone photographer you can be a professional dslr photographer and guru shots will literally just spit competitions at you in a very duolingo style way it'll be like right do these and then you can move on to the next level and kind of you know compete in the big leagues and it was good because we used it during the pandemic when, when there was plenty of time and it was just easy to kind of get in the car and just go to some random place. And it would be like, well, we need to get, you know, water reflections, we're going to do this shot with long exposure, we're going to get some night sky stuff in here, we're going to do all sorts of stuff. And it was, you know, proper proper pushed you as an artist to go and do things that you hadn't done before. Even if they weren't purely your ideas, they were still ideas spawn ideas, more or less. You know, inspiration spawns inspiration. If you don't have inspiration there in the first place, it can be very difficult to be inspired by yourself to do other things. And so I think Guru Shots might be something that I'll want to have a look at again, because it kind of pushes you to also find the beauty in things that aren't difficult to get to. You know, just everyday things that you might find in your house is always going to be something that you can kind of use and so yeah I kind of like kind of like the idea of being able to go out and do all of these sorts of things but also maybe try and find things inside the house I can just practice my photography on although I feel like I might have run out in some ways I I had a um, it was like a, a crystal ball kind of thing that I was messing around with for a couple of days this is years ago And that's kind of like the extent that you get to when you constantly do photography, you eventually are like, well, I can't do this and that again. I can't just, you know, for most um, really white teenager girls, um, it would be like taking photos of their feet and horses and stuff like that. And it pretty much just ends there. Um, and, And similarly for not completely professional photographers, you do this and that, you do your long exposure shots, and then it's kind of like, well, what do I do now? You know, where where can I expand from here? Uh, Coming up next, we'll be talking about Steamboat Willie became public domain. I guess a lot of Disney stuff is going to be becoming uh, public domain over the next couple of years because we've kind of hit the epitaph, as it were. Um, It's actually a little known secret that Cinderella used to be a photographer. Um, She was quite a hopeful one. I mean, she always knew her prince would come someday. The Callum Certain Show. Screw you, Disney. You can't stop me from playing this. That's right. Uh, Mickey Mouse. Well, the first Mickey Mouse uh, animation is now in the public domain. I mean, it was actually in the public domain at the start of the year, but... I kind of forgot to talk about this. To to of so Steamboat Willie is now in the public domain. First there was Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Now get ready for the Steamboat Willie horror films. Apparently there's two of them in production at the moment. Or getting ready for production at the moment. Um, yeah, this is, this is crazy because it's kind of like... It, it's very... In my eyes, it's kind of like a lost footage kind of thing. You know, these... Copy pastas you find online, or I think they call them spooky pastas now? Scary pastas? I don't know. Um, this sort of, like, lost footage thing, which I'm going to attach to Steamboat Willie, because if they're doing a horror version, it's going to be very much like that. It's it's subverting something that has existed for God knows how long. I mean, this is 1928, so how many years is that? I'm not good with maps. <laughs> uh, 1928? six years i guess yeah let's go with that or we'll, we'll come back to my math skills in just a moment um yeah when that's existed so long it, it's gonna have a very lost footage kind of feel to it when eventually the horror films come out because one of them is beginning production in september the other one's beginning just spring vague spring and you kind of, like, see a lot of these copy pasters with, like, his lost episodes from Nickelodeon back in the day kind of thing. Um, does anybody remember... That's a, that's a very popular one. Does anybody remember, like, this thing that aired in the 90s and then just, like, really fucking scary descriptions of it? Something completely normal. Like, I have one myself. I remember there was, like, this animation with toys... that ripped themselves apart it was fucking weird they ripped themselves apart and they basically traded body parts and i know full well that it did actually exist on nickelodeon and i saw it as a kid and it scarred me for life i can't remember the name of it was though that there was another one with like a burger joint a bunch of guys running a burger joint and on one of the episodes the guy got rejected by a girl or something and Just stuck his hands into a deep fryer. Lots of creepy shit. You see a lot of creepy shit in children's TV. Sometimes more than you do in adult TV. Maybe not so much these days, but definitely back in the early 2000s. It was just rife. It was like everything was its own version of a horror story. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they can do with this. In a way that makes you kind of like get secondhand chills because if you've seen the original animation and then you see something that relates enough to it but is also really skewed it will kind of give you that sense of did i ever really see the real thing and i hope they kind of try to capitalize on that whole kind of psychological thriller um niche because i don't think many movies really try to do that but it's something that i personally really like like when i read um because I used to read like a lot of these creepy back in the day, and when I'm read of these like Russian adaptations of Nickelodeon cartoons with references to real world things, usually you know nothing particularly um good as it were, you know mass murderings and such, that freaks the shit out of you. that really does freak the shit out of you. When when you kind of like get that skewed perception, so I'm hoping they try to capitalize on that somehow and skew the perception rather than creating something entirely brand new. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm guessing Mini's probably not going to be involved in this one. I don't know; it just seems too dark. If they're going to do a Steamboat Willie kind of thing, if they're going to get Mini involved, that seems like a bit of it's like a bit too dark. Um, also, you know, there's there's the whole divorce that she had with Mickey, uh, which didn't happen because she was extremely silly... Uh, more just happened because she was fucking goofy. This is the Callum Sutton Show from Opposition Studios. Doing quick catch-ups. Uh, the minimum unit price for alcohol in Scotland is to be raised from 50 to 65p. It has been announced. Deputy First Minister Shona Robinson announced the plan on Thursday in a statement to Holyrood. This means shops in Scotland will not be able to sell a bottle of wine for less than 6 pounds nine which is going to be a problem for Tesco club card holders. Uh, Scotland was the first country in the world to set a minimum price for alcoholic drinks. And this is surprising, to say the least. I mean, Scotland's the only place where it's common commonplace to uh, grab a pint on the way home. Or, or so they say. I'm not too sure if that's entirely true in this day and age, but certainly it was weird because I was watching a TikTok video. I mean, it was, it was an old, like, I think it was... Um, uh talk back thames interview from like the 70s or whenever it became illegal to drive a car drunk (laughs) there was an interview from the news where people were like basically you know posed by the interviewer the question was what are you going to do in reaction to this like it's becoming illegal to drink and drive all of that sort of stuff and you had a very even divide between some people who were like, well, if it's becoming illegal, I'll just stop drinking and driving then. And then there was the other half that were like, well, I've been driving fine the entire time and I feel no reason to stop. And it was like, really? This this used to happen? And it was very bizarre because you, you could see elements of the same people we see today in those people back then. You know, the stereotypes of the um, kind of, what's it called? self not self-absorbed but um I'll come back to that word I'll think of it at some point. You you could see the elements of the people that we know today in those people from like back in the 50s and 60s. Those who were obedient, those who weren't. The Karens, as it were, were were very much alive and well back then and apparently they really loved to drink drive. Um, also Restaurants owned by some of the UK's best-known chefs have been cloned as part of an emerging identity theft scam. Uh, Heston Blumenthal, Yotam Ottolenghi, and the Ritz have all been targeted by fraudsters who then open bank accounts and apply for loans. More than 750 fake firms have been registered, often with misspelt names, in the last six weeks. And this brings us back to... Also, the time that Microsoft got massively scammed, but more or less by themselves, people were sending in like fake invoices for work that they had never done with them. And because the accounting team at Microsoft was so, you know, frizzled and busy all the time, they would just accept the invoices and be like, right, we'll just pay that out. And so, you know, these people were making like tons of money off the back of Microsoft just by claiming that they had done work for them. Which I think is brilliant in some ways. People are also rolling their heads over General Tager's uh, brand new film, Miller's Girl, with Martin Freeman. They're saying that the one scene that, you know, where they had a bit of steamy, saucy times uh, was somehow scarring. They're basically saying that, like, General Tager is a kid and the the scene was very creepy. And that they felt like a distaste towards it. They were going to write a really angry letter on an old school typewriter that goes ping. And it's kind of like, okay, A, she's not a kid. She's an adult. Grow the fuck up. And B, it's supposed to be creepy. It's a film. Motherfucker. That's the whole point of it. That's, that's, yeah. It's about an initiator. Martin Freeman literally plays like an initiator in it who's turned on by the aesthetic of, in in this case, Wednesday Adams because she looks very similar in the movie. It's got that very kind of like gothic vibe to her in the movie as well. And so clearly he's following a million nerds online and very much enjoying that aesthetic. And Snapchat, is planning to lay off about 10% of its employees as the company continues to struggle with declines in the digital advertising market. Seriously, is it anything to do with the fact that they mostly rely on porn stars? Like, I cannot go on Snapchat without my fucking feed just filling up with grotesque, horrendous, horrible stuff I'm going to write a letter with an angry typewriter. Because every single fucking time I go on Snapchat, you can't find anything inspirational, educational, or... Well, I guess to a certain extent you can find something entertaining on there, but you can't find the other two because Snapchat relies on OnlyFans influencers to kind of do all of their kind of like news and story stuff. And it's kind of like, well, I wonder why the whole advertising effort is kind of failing. If if that's what you're using, that's, yeah, not many people are going to want to flock to this. Does JME need to tell you another lesson? He did it back in the day by saying that, you know, rappers can't just be people who walk around with guns because record labels aren't really into criminals. Now, do we need to tell Snapchat that having porn stars be their, like, number one source of revenue maybe doesn't work if you're not actually in the porn world? Because, you know, the people advertising Finnish dishwasher soap don't want it right next to an image of boobs. Strangely enough, I'm not too sure why I would ever need to explain that, but I'm just saying, it's it's not exactly difficult to keep things in line with your target audience. This is the Callum Sutton Show. Today, we are talking about the AI copyright race. This is something I was thinking about the last couple of days, um, which essentially, I'm, I'm naming it as such because, and I, and I feel like People should have thought about this before. But Peterborough only just asking the question, what does AI actually mean for copyright? Because you're talking about something that scrapes the open world for information and then basically regurgitates it. And so something that uh, it came up first in the developer's world, because it was like, Everyone's like, oh, AI is gonna be taking over developers' jobs because it can write Python code, C code, um, you know, develop basic applications, all of this sort of stuff. But one thing that people have kind of questioned now is, well, AI goes on GitHub and then pulls like random repositories from people. It basically goes and looks at other people's projects, takes the code and then just gives it to someone else. And so a lot of those projects will be licensed under, for example, MIT license. They might be privately copyrighted. I mean, they they could be Creative Commons, but in, in most cases they're not going to be. And so what we need to think about now is when it goes out and does these things, how are we going to know if we're liable for copyright damage? How do we know that the things we're creating with AI don't have... A stranglehold by somebody else already. The same goes for voices. The same goes for art. The same goes for pictures now. Because originally, AI was just like, you'd be like, I want a photo of uh, Drake on a tractor, and it would spit out a, a close approximation of a Drake shaped thing on a tractor shaped thing and be like, yep, yeah, I guess. Nowadays, it can do that. It can just full on do like a perfected photo. And so it's got to be questioned. Well, that breaks copyright almost immediately. The same with artistic styles. It can now do art in other people's style, not necessarily pulling direct from what they've already published, but it can kind of create things that are-esque to them. And so... People are going to be you know, naturally upset by that because for somebody that's honed in their craft, for example, where their entire style comes from the experiences that they've had, the things that they've learned along the way, years and years of practicing their craft and to have it suddenly recreated by AI, it's going to be like, well, that is technically an IP. That's technically an intellectual property because it is something that they have honed in, that they have tailor-made. You know, you can't just sell an Armani suit, a fraudulent Armani suit, because it is based on a stylistic characteristic that they have developed. Even if it doesn't have the name in it, they can still say that certain features are characteristic of things that they make, like double stitch lapels. There's all sorts of places where this becomes a legitimate concern the most the most common at the moment is just development simply because it is so much harder to work out where code has come from because you can't recognize the characteristic of a piece of code while if it was to spit out a piece of music it would be pretty pretty you could you could be pretty quick in actually guessing where it came from if not knowing full well where it came from and so This is is a difficult one, because there's there's been reported cases already. Holly Mengret, who was a Disney illustrator, found that her style was cloned on the internet by a bunch of engineering students in Canada, and she was the one who brought up the whole point of the whole, it's my tailor-made, it's something that I've honed in, my style is only my style because of the time that I've spent developing it. And so the next question is going to be, well, what can we do about it? If we are artists who are being ripped off, what measures are going to be put in place to ensure that we can actually take back our intellectual property? And in a similar style, it's also going to thread into previous copyright examples. So if an AI is going to be allowed to replicate something to a certain extent, what does that mean for everyone else who's not using AI? Like, if I'm a podcaster playing music, does this kind of open me up to being able to use commercially available music? Because AI more or less replicates it anyway. It's a difficult one, but it's also one that could open up some avenues and change the way we think about copyright. And... Yeah, I feel like I, I'm definitely going to be on the forefront of this as somebody who's spent my entire career, more or less, working with Creative Commons licences, MIT licences, doing all sorts of licensing here, there, and everywhere, you know, dealing with dull, dull, boring people in Primark suits. Hello, PRS and people in, in the UK. Love you guys. <laughs> you don't make my life difficult at all. Um Yeah, for me, this is going to be interesting to kind of like see, A, how fast people actually react to the changes. And B, if they are in any way like actually moral. If the decisions made are going to be things that will actually advance us as a society, that will actually be fair to the people who are affected by it. Because it's weird, must be weird, super weird for like, you know, voiceovers to hear their voice being used without their permission, for musicians to hear their vocals, their songs adapted, not by real people, and you can very often tell when it's a real person and when it's AI, because AI has a certain level of perfection that doesn't feel right. It's one of those weird things, although very much documented in the past we all know what that's all about you know imperfection breeds perfection as it were so it's going to be interesting and i'd like to hear your thoughts as well suttonshow.net where i'll be writing an article on it um and this is following on from my current article if you're outside the uk you'll be able to read that if you're inside the uk i'm sorry but copyright laws are in the ass Um, relating to Google Play services having control over everyone, um, this will very much be leading into that same argument. Because to a certain extent, AI could actually free us. We just have to use it in the right ways. You imagine if AI was applicable to the open source community, for example, if AI could check through code for us and ensure that everything's being done in a moral and ethically correct way, it's all about just making sure that we actually make the right decisions, make sure that people are prioritised, not companies, not entities, because that's what it's always about, isn't it? It's always about protecting the companies and identities, which I hate, to to a massive extent I hate. And so I think we'll finish there on that point, and I uh, hope to hear from you on the website, SuttonShow.net. And yeah, we'll head off on the podcast now. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. SuttonShow.net